the open bar continued, and we'll just say that Stephanie flew way, way too close to the sun at the gala. I was flying in a, another atmosphere. Big Solheim Cup podcast. Right. We're gonna have to keep it moving. Okay. All right. Welcome back to Mixed Bag with Justin and Abby. The title of this is Where the F is Brendan on the Lido Deck. I can't even say it without laughing. We are sitting here and we've got like Solheim Cup hangover. For sure. This is where we ended the day yesterday and we are now back. <laughs> back to the scene of the crime. We are not at Inverness Club in the 1903 room. That's probably a good thing. There'll be less disruptions. There would be a lot of disruptions today. This is nice and quiet. Uh, But before we get into it, I have to promote the upcoming For the Ladies Clinics for this fall. Uh, This weekend, September 11th and 12th, we've got events in Portland, Oregon. Then we'll be in Boston, Minneapolis, St. Louis, D.C., and then Streamsong Resort for our second golf getaway to end the year. Um, should be a great time. Go to fortheladies.net to sign up. Um, but to start this episode, we got to do our Justin's 60 seconds of golf. We played the Sunday before the Solheim. We were fortunate enough that Inverness was still open. You mm-hmm. had to walk. It was the hottest day of the year. It was 100% humidity. We played with our significant others, Brendan and so Stephanie. Hot. Uh, you had to carry, so we we suffered through nine holes. At no point did we ever think we were going to play more than nine holes, but just days before the event started, it was fun to be on the golf course. It was fun for the four of us to play together, but it wasn't exactly the most glorious of golf or the most <laughs> glorious of conditions. No, it was hot. I, I did love that. So we all had to tee off from the forward tees because they were obviously keeping the back tees clean. Right. Um, so we all played from the forward tees on one. On the second hole, I decided to also tee off with you guys from a tee set that's farther back from what I typically play. It was not by design. It was very ambitious. I was very impressed when you stood up on the the 440 par 4 and just put the peg in the ground. Well, no one said anything. You were going for it. I was like, why isn't anyone speaking? I Well, I didn't know, realize I even did it until I after hit the ball. I like, didn't even make it to my tees. So. That is true. So that's a little brutal. All right, well, we got to play Inverness Club is in great shape, as the entire world got to see this week. Um, Neither of us picked the winning team. You were kind of close to the winning score, but, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But in actuality, wasn't I further from the correct score? Because you predicted 14.5 to 13.5 USA. I predicted 15.5 to 12.5. Oh, I see what you're saying. So I was even more wrong. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Well, in the end, Europe won 15 and USA's 13 points. It felt more dominant than that final score, I personally thought. That it was interesting as the afternoon started to play out and Leona McGuire had her convincing win over Jen Cupcho and Celine was up big. Uh, Lexi in the first match tied. I never really felt after those first few matches that the U.S. was going to win. I think there was a brief moment in time when Lizette's match was kind of winding down against Matilda Castron that, okay, maybe this could get compelling if two or three things break their way because you had some big U.S. leads on the back end of the lineup. Right. But from my end, I never truly felt that there was you know, a 30 or 40 minute period where, okay, the Americans have got some momentum and they're turning this around. I know. I never really felt that way throughout the whole day. And I don't know if it's a difference between watching the coverage versus being on site. Um, But I I never felt like on Monday that we were up (laughs) at all. (laughs) And I think it's hard. I had the, the rented earpiece radio and they had a lot of big screens. But when you are on site, you do get a little disconnected. Yeah. Versus when you're actually just at home watching and the coverage is kind of tailored for you. You clearly miss things. You're talking to people. Um, You know, it's not as not as smooth of an experience, even though obviously being out there was tremendous and incredible. But 
Yeah, the score turns out, you know, 15 to 13. It almost looked like for a while it was going to be 14 and a half, 13 and a half at the end. Right. And Emily Pedersen made a putt to, to secure that last kind of half point differential. So the final score does does feel and look, when you look back in it history, a little closer than yeah. it does. But there weren't a ton of moments in time during the course of the week where I thought, okay, the Americans are going to flip this or totally. even... Yesterday, did I ever truly feel the Americans were going to win? Yeah, no, same. Well, the U.S. still has more overall Solheim Cups, 10 to 7, but Europe has won four of the past six, so the wave is certainly shifting. Yeah, four of the past six, and you have one coming in two years in Spain, and then a quick turnaround, as we talked about before we got started in 2024 back in the United States, and that site hasn't yet been announced. So you're going to go 21, 23, and 24. You're going to have three Solheim Cups in a, a very short period of time. But I think it's good for them to get away from the Ryder Cup a little bit from a scheduling yeah. perspective. And this event continues to build, continues to grow, get momentum. I think they'll be able to capitalize on having the back-to-back -back coming up. Yeah, I think so. Some quick notes from the event. 16 of the 28 matches went to the 18th hole. I know. Which I thought was interesting. I know. I, you've, there was a lot on Twitter, a lot on some other social media just about, you know, I think the LPGA and the committee, you know, the Solheim folks swapping 18 and right. 9 yeah. did it for the right reasons. 100%. They had the best of intentions. You're yeah. selling corporate tents. You're selling hospitality. There's a lot of dollars at stake, and there was a large hospitality presence around Inverness's 18th green. Yeah. And it's tough to sell those to people when prior to that, only about 30% of matches get to the 18th hole. The problem was the ninth hole at Inverness is not set up for viewing yeah. from behind the green, and it's also not the best hole on the golf course. Right. Um, no golf course has a perfect, you know, Wonderful, eight, all great 18 holes. The ninth hole at Inverness is kind of on the side of the property, mm -hmm. hitting you know by the tennis courts and the pool. And the green complex is pretty strong, but... You just got stuck Yeah, there. it just unfortunately came down to a lot of matches on that hole. And there really wasn't a lot of, they could do with trying to manufacture more fans around that green. So it's unfortunate. It's kind of the one downer because the 18th hole has the natural amphitheater it had all the patrons and it was supporters it, it was, was a great so spot fun. to be yes when they, they came around you know after nine in those matches it was a great spot to be up on the hillside there was a lot of good viewing but at the end of the day you know it is what it is it was done for the right decisions and if that's one of the you know blemishes if you will of the event you know we'll all survive bad. yeah right? We we were the peasants down on the grass while you watched from up above. <laughs> Listen, I got there early enough every day that I oh. was able to find and weasel my way into some good tickets, some good wristbands. <laughs> it was had, all about the wristbands. I, I had some, some <laughs> friends that were able to help me and Stephanie out and get us access to that suite, which worked out perfect because it could, was close to the driving range and we could walk over there and watch a little bit of golf live from a great vantage point well but we, we that will is talk the case more about your your experience this <laughs> week um we'll also talk about leona mcguire but just wanted to note like best record for team europe was her while the usa didn't really have a standout star necessarily igli no and jennifer Cupcho certainly played well but there wasn't a single person who really stuck out yeah, I thought Jennifer Cup show played really, really well. Uh, she sat out the first session and then came on strong playing the next three. Mm -hmm. I think people probably they're gonna remember remember singles. going off early, going off in the top of the lineup, and being down four at the turn. So it's a bit of a a blemish, a bit of a I don't even want to use the term black eye because that's unfair, but. It, 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 it takes her performance down a notch because totally. not only did she lose, but she lost in such a fashion where it really took a lot of the momentum away from the American team seeing one of your top players that week lose. But, you know, I also had, you know, I thought Lizette Salas, 2-1-1, one, one. Mm -hmm. she seemed to play really well, hung in there. Um, 
you know, again, she kind of ended up on the wrong side of the one-down defeat to Matilda Castro and that ended up officially, officially clinching the cup for Europe. But, yeah, Yalimi No goes 2-1-0. and She came out really strong to, to pair, you know, with a, a rookie um, yeah. in, in Mina Harrigay and win a match. Um, you know, I, I think her singles match at the end of the lineup when it was kind of already decided, yeah. she had the big lead. It kind of ended up, you know, not being as significant even though she gets the win. And I think that's important context in all of these matches. When you look at people's record, not every win and loss is created the same. No. If, if you go out and you win the first point, of the day or one of the first few points as close as it was going into Monday, the singles round, that's a lot different than kind of, you know, beating Mel Reed going off, you know, 10th or 11th when Mel knows that it's over. over. Yeah, 100%. And that was something that, like, you know, if you haven't really watched the Solheim Cup before or Ryder Cup or whatever, like, you... People, I was talking to some of my friends, and I, they didn't realize, like, oh, the points later on, like, don't matter as much, right. especially at the end. Um, and mostly those last final matches are, like, for the history books, so they know what, what their record is. Exactly. It sounds good. It looks good. People right. can say so-and-so won, you know, their last three singles matches or hasn't won a singles match, but sometimes it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to do a little game of elite or not elite. So first, the course. I mean, we're a little biased, but I we are biased. Late. We admit our bias, but I think the course looked great on television. It did. The Golf Channel did a great job with aerial crane footage that they had super high. They had a plane yeah. going around. I think just the weather helped tremendously with the tremendous sunshine. Yeah. It was super cool and nice in the morning, and I think that just helped to create a lot of cool views. The golf course was set up super tough, I felt, especially on Saturday afternoon when the wind picked up. Yeah. It got really firm and really crispy and really demanded some excellent shot making. I think it softened just a little bit the next two days, but again, you had to play, you know, the course as, you know, it was kind of set up to play. You had to play well, you had to drive the ball well, and those that did, you know, ended up victorious. Yeah, for sure. I'm playing number two. I think they played number two as a par five. They is this did. elite or not elite? That in my book, that is not elite. Same. They played about a 485 yard par five. I have no problem with the distance. No. But the way that hole is set up, that hole is set up for a long hitter to hit into a very confined area. Yes. Basically, the area that members hit into from the member tees. Which is surrounded by two bunkers, it's a narrow fairway. Exactly. From where they played, and it's the same thing for when I play that hole, if you're hitting the ball, let's just say 250 to 280 or 290 yards, the trouble doesn't come into play. Right. You cannot reach the fairway bunkers, but even more so, the next shot, there's no real risk-reward uh, with that green complex because there's a long runway short. So if you're in the rough, you can run something up. Yes. If you're in the fairway, you could either fly something to the green, run something up. Now, the firm conditions, you know, made it a little more difficult. But I felt the same way on number two a year ago at the drive-on uh, yes. when they played it as a par five. Yes. It's just not a hole in my book that's designed to play as a par five. There's just not enough trouble. There's no trouble in the layup zone, which I think on a par five is always important. If you're going for the green, you know, oh, I don't want to leave it in a bunker that's 60 or 70 yards short. I want to make sure maybe I cross a creek or get over a hillside. Other, The other two par fives at Inverness have those elements. I just don't believe number two from the back tee sets up as well. And then early I think on Saturday they played it from about 400 yards and still and kept calling it a par five. Which, which I guess in match play doesn't really right. matter. Right, par, par is, is inconsequential. A, right, but I think it's just like a perception thing. Like, you're like, well, I've got three shots in, so we're good. Right, I mean, they, I just, I they like were it. hyping up Eagles on, on a medium-length right. par four right. slash five that, sure, I guess it, it creates a little buzz and a little excitement, but... 
I think they would have just been better off playing that hole from between 420 and 390 and, and playing it as a, a par four. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we also don't set up an LPGA tour we do on not. a weekly basis. But I think to their credit, I think they made some good decisions in moving the tees on 16 and 11 a couple fun. times to create yeah. some drivable par fours. Everybody really loves a short par four. So maybe they missed a little bit on one side of the house, but I think they uh, they did well in other areas. Yeah, for sure. All right, now we got to talk your girl, Leona McGuire. She was your pick for the AIG Women's Open. She showed up big. Um, she, do you know who has had the most points by a Solheim Cup rookie? I have no idea. There's a fun fact. It was her this oh, year. I didn't know. I thought you meant maybe before that. Do you yeah. know before that? I have that too. No, I don't know it's before. It's four players. Okay. They're all big names. Michelle Wee, Paula Creamer, Nellie Corda, and Jess Corda. Wow. Yeah. So pretty good company. Great company. I am. She she was a rock star. She came out with Mel Reed in foursomes, also known as alternate shot. I did see on Twitter today that someone said in this day and age they should just call it best ball and alternate shot instead of four ball. Agreed. Like why confuse people? But right. in the alternate shot on Saturday morning, she came out. Um, against the Corda sisters, and she and Mel Reed really played well, took advantage of Nellie and Jessica not playing as great yeah. through some of the front nine and kind of took a two-up lead and carried it from there. But for a rookie to play all five sessions, I did honestly think that Jennifer Cupshaw was probably going to win yesterday because I thought there could be a little bit of Leona was out of gas. It's a oh, lot yeah. of... You know, it's, it's a lot, lot of, of pressure, it's a lot of golf, it's a lot of high emotional golf, and I was just 100% wrong. She came out and birdied the 6th and 7th hole in her singles match, and those are as hard of back-to-back par 4s as you'll find anywhere, and then just kind of rolled from there. So a ton of credit to the rookie. It's great to see players, especially from a golf-crazed nation like Ireland, continue yeah. to grow the event. Yeah. Um, it gives the event, you know, more options in terms of future venues, totally. future captains. There's just so many positives when these players from some of these, you know, that don't have the rich history of strong female professional players, you know, come out and have such succession. She was just a killer. I mean, I saw her she was on, stone cold. on <laughs> Sunday. Straight ahead. The days all blend together. So Sunday afternoon in the best ball, they had the pin way back right on number nine. Just an impossibly difficult pin. Okay. And she darn near hold it from over 100 yards hit to a few inches. And, you know, that was a match that ended up being tied. But just a lot of impressive shots and a lot of quality of golf. And maybe I was an event ahead on her breakthrough. She still doesn't have an LPGA Tour win, but... She's, you know, top 50 in the good. world, top 10 to almost nearly top 10 in the CME standing. So it has to be coming. But this really continues an unbelievable multiple month stretch of golf for her where she just continues to play really, really well. Yeah. So she was elite. <laughs> she was elite. Yes. I keep watching you like dance around with your hands after we talked about how you're not going to talk with your hands today. And it's just. There's a lot of movement. I'm trying to not be as loud. <laughs> sit I'm trying to still. sit still. <laughs> it's really, it's really tough here. Less on the noise ruffling. All right, um, superstars in the Solheim Cup, elite or not elite? Unfortunately for our Americans, they were not elite. Not elite, unfortunately. And when you know, I give Danielle Kang credit. She was grinding hard all week on her game on the range. I think searching and looking for some things, and she took the ball first and went off first on Saturday. And and then like in the last spot. And Sunday. took the last spot, you yeah, know, yesterday. Monday, That's sorry. a lot to take on. She yeah. didn't back down from the moment, but you know, just didn't have her best stuff. Number one in the world, Nelly. Yeah, Nelly. Nellie's she went two and two you know so I mean not like horrible but right there's just a lot of things you know comes we talked about this before the event happens so quickly and it's done so quickly that afterwards things dawn on you or you, yeah. you read something it's just crazy to me if I had told you a week and a half ago that the Corda sisters would only play one match together 
you'd say that's not possible. I know. And if I said to you, well, you know, Nelly Corda wouldn't play, you know, in the best in one of the best ball sessions as a player that leads the tour in birdies and eagles, you'd say, well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Maybe if she sits, she sits Sunday morning. Right. You know, Captain Pat Hurst said that, you know, everybody was going to play at least twice on Saturday and Sunday, and no one was going to play four times. And that's fine. I think sometimes, you know, as Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And the United States got punched in the face. Yes. Right we will, off we the will, bat. We will talk about, like, pods and yeah. if they're elite or not elite. But um, it was... Superstars did not... Show yeah, the superstars just the did side. not quite get the job done. No. But I think there was a lot of other factors maybe that we'll get to moving down the line here. Yeah, some Nelly Corda versus Madeline Sagstrom ruling. I don't even know if I could say, like, elite or not elite. It yeah. was just, like, it I, wasn't a win for anyone. I was on the driving range when this happened. I didn't see oh, it yeah, I on texted TV. you guys, and I was like, are I you was, seeing what's happening? I, I looked on Twitter, didn't really, couldn't find a great video that encapsulated the whole situation. Yeah, sure. So I truly didn't know what had happened until it was all said and over and I got home and watched the, some of the replay. And there was individuals on social media that I think unfairly criticized Nelly. Even today I saw some of that where someone said, oh, they should have just forfeited the next hole. We've, if you've played that green, or even if you watch it, Nelly's putt was a great putt. It was a tremendous yeah. effort. But even if you watch it, it never looks, even if it's, it's approaching the hole that it's going to go in, it kind of comes in the back side on the high side, mm -hmm. and it kind of sits there. Yep. And when I first heard that, you know, Sagstrom had gone and flipped it back to her, I thought, oh, maybe she, they, it kind of sounded like she rushed in there. And she's over on the left side of the green as you're watching it from the camera angle. And maybe she gets in a little quickly, but she wasn't rushing. She no. kind of just meandered in, throws it back, and nobody, you know. But like, Nelly and had Nelly left. Didn't argue it, Nelly, right. Nelly she just gave like, up. No right. one said if that official had not made that ruling, nobody. No one would have said anything. Ever. Yeah. Ever says anything. Yeah, I know. And I think that to me. Is the most telling part. I know. I um, know. I just felt like the official, may, while maybe that was the correct ruling, I just felt the official overstepped her bounds and got too involved, especially in an event like that. You are a facilitator. You are mindful of the rules of golf. But in a Solheim Cup, all that really matters, it's a siloed event. All that matters is that one Match. match at that time yeah you, your ruling shouldn't necessarily affect the entire event and i feel that that did affect the event and the americans did win that match but yep. i do feel i mean obviously it wasn't even a momentum changer though. no i don't think it was a momentum changer no. i think the hardest part was Madeline Sagstrom was incredibly emotional understandably after the match but also so was Nelly Corda yeah like, it's almost like you get shaken up by the whole thing. So, all of a sudden, you wonder, did Nelly lose something in that instance? Right. Or did the American team lose something? I don't think it was as much of a rallying cry for the Europeans. I think the Europeans do enough uh, as a team to build the chip on their shoulder and come in yeah. with yeah. that underdog mentality. And that's what we've seen in, the, in Ryder Cups as well. Maybe it galvanized them and brought them closer together. Sure. Because, you know, Madeline's had such a good summer, is playing well, mm -hmm. is a popular player on their team. Yeah. So maybe that brought them together in that regard. I just think the whole situation was mishandled. And as I said, the, the best reason and the best evidence of how it was mishandled is if it never happened... They no one would ever talk hole. about it. I know. They would go to the next hole yeah. and move on. And I don't feel that giving them 
having Nelly concede the next hole would have made the situation no. better. It actually could have maybe made it more awkward. I know. It's so funny because the Solheim Cup has, tends to oh. have these rules controversies right. with conceding holes. We yes. had Allison Lee had a rules right. controversy in her rookie year. Right. It's just like, oh my god. The famous Annika chip in when yes. Pat Bradley comes in and says you weren't away and then she has to chip again. Right, things that you never ever see in the course ever. of any other team event or any other, you know, golf event. And there's three now incredibly memorable instances in the last, you know, fifteen plus years involving marquee play. You know, Annika once, Nelly once, what Suzanne Pedersen and Allison yep. Lee another time where the these moments tend to tend to creep into the event. But I talked about it with some folks on the range. For better or worse, sometimes any publicity is good publicity. I know. Gives people a reason to tune in. You're, you know, you know all about, you know, impressions and analytics and all that stuff. And on on Saturday night, that was getting a lot of impressions. It sure. There was was. a lot of hot takes and a lot of probably incorrect takes, but that's all right. That's okay. All right, pods, elite or not elite? I think it's hard. Again, this goes back to what I said about getting punched in the face if you're gonna fall in love with the pod and you're gonna say these are my four people but yet you're gonna sit people for certain matches you lose a number of people to you right you're losing a number of people and i do think that my biggest disappointment again was how do we only get the cordis sisters once they went off for you know, Saturday morning and lost. Okay, that's fine. They didn't yeah. play well. That's fine. But, you know, to, to then they set Jessica in the afternoon. I, I just don't think that that was the, the best plan. They've played well in the past in team competitions. They've played well in the Dow two-person event. Oh, yeah. I just think... You kind of bailed and maybe panicked a little too early. I I feel there's maybe some players within the pods that were elevated to a stature that maybe they don't deserve. Right, because they mix a lot of like vets right. with rookies and or but players. There's not that, many veterans, right? On or these players, teams. not even necessarily vets and rookies, but maybe like superstar players power. that are playing with the superstar. Yeah. That how does that match? There's a lot of analytics out there. The conventional wisdom used to always be you match two players in alternate shot with similar styles of game. But the interesting thing is if you miss if you match two players that are both long hitters their deficiencies are usually the same. Yeah. Normally they're not the best putters. Right, right, right. So, so then you're like, I, Here we I go. just think, yeah, yeah they, they got backed into a corner. But again, if they had abandoned the pods we after criticized Saturday morning, anyway. you would have criticized I it know. just as bad. My, my only real criticism is that Nellie Corda, the number one player in the world, didn't get to play one of the best ball portions which kind of takes all of a sudden she plays yes. two alternate shots where which you're only she's not going to succeed but you're always. only impacting half of the play right and she only gets to play with her sister once right if you were going to sit the number one player in the world i would have sat her in alternate shot yes and on sunday afternoon when they were starting to get a little bit of momentum i would have rolled with the Corda sisters in best ball yeah my personality is also like if something isn't working, you pivot. So I would, I would have just been like, "Let's we're blowing up the pods." Right. <laughs> it's time to move on. And that leaves yourself for so much more criticism, it does. also, because you've spent so much time With investing the, in this. She owned it. She talked about the it. Emotional talk- IQ surveys right. And-, and right, and then have, has it swung on these team events too far the other way from too much analytics? To maybe yeah. certain people yeah. just play well together. Right. And can you just go off a of feel? Right. I know. Like, I'll be honest, you know, working, and we'll get into this a little bit, but Mel Reed was grinding as hard the first few days on the driving range on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday. And I was just said to a couple of people, I'll be shocked if we see Mel Reed 
an alternate shot in the mm. first session. She seemed to be kind of searching for something. Okay. Whether she was or wasn't, I don't know. But just from, you know, the time she spent on the short game range, the driving range, she was really grinding. I don't even think she played Tuesday. And for, you know, Katrina made the right call. She sent her out with Leona. They had a tough match with the yeah. quarters and won. So, yeah. Uh, finally, home soil advantage. Elite or not elite? I think home soil advantage is very real. I think, yeah. But this year, and we were out there a lot, it it was 99.9% Europeans. I did sense, and I was on a, the radio a lot with the marshals and security. I don't think there was a lot of fan issues in terms of any fans being yeah. rude or unruly yeah so i think the crowds were loud the crowds were big and like positive but though. the crowds were fairly positive yes. and supportive yes there wasn't a lot of you know no and nordquist misses a putt and everybody cheers there right. might have been some murmurs and things like that but, but it, it was not right that it, bad. it wasn't hostile it was no. i think a lot of people had a very positive jovial kind of party atmosphere being out there yes and they were appreciative of golf as a whole so i think home soil is real i think when it maybe flips back to the united states depending where it is that also could affect things yeah um well we've now reached townie talk (laughs) since we are both townies of toledo ohio even though you try to deny it i did but i mean i'm leaving again but it's fine um first of all toledo showed up for the solheim cup there's no denying it 130,000 fans the most ever for solheim cup um and probably a women's golf event the merchandise was sold out by sunday and it was like comical to go through it there it really was gone almost by like, sunday morning oh yeah late saturday we started to yeah. get pictures from our kind of committee email and text group and it was going bad very quickly and i do feel bad for people that drove into town that come for the event and maybe just come like for monday right maybe sunday afternoons the first time you and your family can get there and you walk in there and there's nothing and it was like walking into a department store that they are liquidating and <laughs> there is nothing left i can't they did a great job with the merchandise they had a lot of nice stuff they sold a lot of it but it, it was, was wild it was disappointing unfortunate you know they had they knew how many tickets they sold they had a i mean maybe they felt some people wouldn't show up i don't know maybe they had issues with supply chains getting product but by the end they were just selling stuff without the solheim logo they were just selling inverness they were just selling inverness merch (laughs) let's just bring the pro shop yeah they they literally rolled everything (laughs) from the storage of the pro shop (laughs) put it on racks overnight set up a separate point of sale system put up a rope line that divided the remnants of the lpga solheim um merchandise tent and i mean remnants they had by the end like ball markers and like clappers clappers (laughs) a couple european branded umbrellas i saw monday morning and then they just had racks and racks of inverness closing <laughs> which for some people if you're there for the venue sure you were probably stoked right right and they, but yes, they did it is sell disappointing it. but it, yes i think that was one of the handful of things that were unfortunate and i know you never want to order and you're trying to stick to or over order and you're trying to stick to a budget but i feel like in all these you know singular events that are marked by a, a year and yeah. a date they're going to sell out. There's always, you know, they could have put everything 50% off on a website today. Yeah. And they would have sold a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I just don't see a scenario where all of a sudden you're left with, oh my gosh, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of leftover merch. Honestly, I was impressed because personally, I didn't really love any of the merchandise, like mm-hmm. women's brands and stuff. So I was like, oh, well, we, at this point, people were just buying stuff so they could have it because... I think that's true. I think it's a little bit of it. But, I mean, everybody's got their own thing. But it was it was crazy walking in there. You're like, why does this tent even exist at this point? It could have turned it into a hospitality I know. suite by Monday morning. Yeah, seriously. So Toledo showed up for the Solheim Cup. The atmosphere was great. I yeah. mean, it was great to look around everywhere and there were fans. It wasn't really, like, empty on any part of the course where 
players were competing. No, and they did a great job with where they put the the Meyer Pavilion, which the was the ship. seven thousand ship cruise ship. <laughs> When you went up to the second level of the Meyer Pavilion and you looked down and it kind of angled it and pointed like together, it looked a like ship. a bad, <laughs> not that there was anything wrong with it, no. but just it looked like a bad like 90s cruise ship <laughs> with the bars out in the middle yes. and the, the umbrellas. Like and, you just needed a pool. Right. You needed a, you know, someone need, there needed to be a Rolex pool out there that was in another velvet <laughs> roped off area. But it was a great setup. You could see a lot of golf so holes. Much golf. It be became a huge congregating area for everyone because it wasn't too far to get to. Yeah. Um, but we had a great time out there. We tried to walk out there two or three times in the afternoon just to see it, just to see people, just to you know get a sense of what was going on, and it provided a lot of good views. And I'm you know hopefully, depending on venue and depending where it's at, it's something that they continue to do for these team events yeah. is create these big open air type it was um, sweet. events because it was very cool yeah um did you go to fan fest at all i did not go to fan fest i went to the gwen stefani concert which i heard was great it was really cool i was i'm a big country music fan i think that's part of being a townie in toledo because <laughs> there were a we, ton of people at the Chris we Young only concert. get we only get country concerts <laughs> yeah. here it's not a big enough town to get like the mainstream acts, but we have you know a, a nice eight thousand seat indoor arena. We have the zoo, which has a nice you know three or four thousand seat amphitheater, and we have the river area where they had the Gwen Stefani and Chris Young concert. And it seems that that attracts country music acts that can't quite fill a twenty thousand <laughs> seat NBA arena or do a stadium tour. So townies like myself love country music. I was crushed. I was convinced at the end that Blake Shelton was going to come on stage. Oh, all of Toledo thought he, Blake Shelton was coming. And and he and Gwen were going to sing their duet, and everyone was going to go riding off into the sunset. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. Well, was, that that was that was my one my one disappointment from from the whole week from uh, <laughs> merch. You know, things like that. USA but losing. USA losing. No Blake Shelton. should do my top ten, my ranking of top ten things that I was disappointed by. Um, the gala, though, was not disappointing. The gala was great, it sounds like. The gala, sometimes. <laughs> you guys partied early in the week. The gala was Thursday night. We had been at the golf course very early that day getting the range set up because there was talks that there could be some early practice rounds mm. and we went to the gala it was open bar full open bar not like beer and wine full open they bar. were showing you a good time on fifth and it was right in the middle of the triple a baseball stadium where the world famous toledo mud hens play the kind of cocktail hour and a half was up in the concourse the sun went down you went down for dinner the teams got introduced from the dugouts. The open bar continued. And we'll just say that Stephanie flew way, way too close to the sun at the gala. I was flying in a, another atmosphere. We approached some of our favorite players who will remain nameless to get multiple pictures. We're probably going to be on a list that's discourages us from ever attending an LPGA tour event again. But the, the selfies were odd. The the most concerning thing really was that my range partner and co-host uh, Stephanie Cruz failed to make the 555 wake up call. That's right. The next morning and showed up at 9 a.m. after I had been at the golf course since 6:30. Brutal. Walks out, she walks out to the the range, looks at me, and goes, "Are you mad?" And I just said, "I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed." Nice, perfect, perfect. So it, the gala was awesome. It was a ton of fun. The players were super nice. I think some of them were excited after sitting there for a little while to talk to some different people. I talked to a lot of people from the Golf Channel. I probably talked to too many people as I'm thinking about this now. You told them all to listen to your for the ladies podcast. I, I was hyping up my Grant Boone. I was hyping up the, my ladies podcast to Amanda Balionis. That's right. There there were not many people that have an audience that I did not just stand up and approach at a certain point. And then, you know, we took our pictures with 
a majority of the the players. The players. Which, like, that's what it's all about. Right. It and was fun. Great. And they were super nice. Yeah. They were super gracious. I think they, it probably didn't take them long in talking to Steph and I to realize the state of mind that we were <laughs> trending into. So, they were like, you got to go talk to that couple. They're, right. they're, they're, they're getting close to the sun. They probably are like, um, you either need to go talk to those people or you need to go avoid those people. <laughs> But it was a lot of fun. No, that's good. That's good. Um, shout out Toledo for having activities all yeah. week. We did the the pedal pub. We did the pedal pub together. That it, was a lot of fun. It was really fun. It's like one of those bikes that you sit on and you there's like it has room for sixteen people. You can bike it around downtown. Stop at bars. It was a great activity. It was a good time. Uh, that was a nice precursor to the the Gwen Stefani concert. Oh, that's just right. just what I needed when I had to wake up the next day at four forty five in the morning. You had very early wake up calls. Yes, I was on property for sometimes <laughs> in excess of almost a full working day before you and your crew <laughs> would even <laughs> contemplate making an appearance. Yeah, that was always my favorite. Stephanie being like, "Where are you guys?" I'm like, "We." Are sleeping. We're still downtown. I'm like, well, we've been on property for seven hours. <laughs> we went early the first day. Yeah. And first day, I mean Saturday. And so we could get into the grandstand. It was a super cool experience. Like the grandstand around one and 10 totally lived up to the hype, in my opinion. Um, it was a great area. We also were able to get some wristbands to get into nicer parts of the grandstand. Right. Um, it, it was it was ideal. There were some. There was a lot of like patrolling of the wristbands by like mid weekend. Yes, the the wristband <laughs> policy. In the beginning of the week, the wristbands was, were like, all right, that you could slip it right off your hand, hand to someone else. Right. There's supposed to be ten people in an area, and an hour later, there's forty seven. <laughs> so, security at sometimes was lacking, and then by the end, it kind of became like, who do you know in here? How dare you try to get a cocktail? You'd have to have. It was almost like someone had to vouch that you were supposed to be right. there. So the, the the security did creep up on the wristbands. I think as they started to blow out the catering yes. budget. But you know what? Hey, people in Toledo are resourceful, and we were going to find our way into places whether we belong there or not. What was your like? What's your most memorable moment or story from the range? You guys were the chairs for people who. Don't remember. There, there's a lot of good ones. It was cool the way they set it up that every morning we'd be the first people to kind of see the teams arrive. Yeah. It's, and see kind of how cool. they all came in together. Yeah. That was always kind of a cool way to start the day, to let everyone else know, let all of our team of volunteers who were eager to get started, especially on the practice round days. Yeah, everybody's excited. Everyone's excited. Hey, the teams are both on property. So that yeah. was fun. But the... Talking to some of the caddies, they're all such you know great characters. Talking to some of the players who, by and large, could not have been more gracious and friendly and welcoming. Um, you know, getting autographs. You know, you guys took home some memorabilia. <laughs> I have no comment on any memorabilia that don't, may or don't may go to the cruise residence that may or may not have been. <laughs> That, siphoned that might have been the best part of last night we were like so like what's all this stuff listen <laughs> they're not going to use some of those signs and some of those range they bags again and if they do really want them they know where to find me and i'll just deny that i ever had any of it okay but we did take some range signs from some of our favorite players they we were did all european <laughs> Or did part you get of that, an American I, one? Part of it, it was they were all European, honestly, because I felt that no one would notice. Fair. A, and I didn't really think of the idea until they had kind of started to put some of the stuff away. Yeah. Um, so that is why it turned out that we had, you know, about a half dozen of the European team's <laughs> nameplates, which made for some fun pictures out on the golf course. It with, really did. With the players holding the nameplate with the player in the background. Well, we'll show those on the Instagram. Right. Um, any any specific stories from but, the range? I mean, just watching how different people prepare, how sure. different people practice for a big event, how the yeah. event builds. Like I talked about, Mel Reed was grinding the first day. You leave me no. Yeah, Danielle, you leave me no on Thursday. 
Yeah. Maybe even went Thursday was on the range for a good two and a half to three oh hours. Gosh. Just her, um, just you know, working on different things and practicing and you know, getting themselves prepared. So, I think it's interesting just to see how different people build. Some people with you know various entourages and yeah. who kind of travels with who. A few players had their coaches there every day. Yeah. You know, from the jump. Yeah. It was interesting to talk to a lot of those guys. You know, a lot of investment, obviously, in TrackMan and related TrackMan type, uh, you know, technologies out there. But it was a great job. I've said this to everyone. You know, for us, it was 10% work and 90% fun being out there. And sure, yeah. the hours stunk a lot, but it was a cool experience. For some people, it probably was 70% work and 30% fun based on the, the role that they volunteered oh, for volunteers. or totally. assigned yes but yes. we met a lot of great people we had volunteers from california mississippi new york that's so cool so we got to meet a lot of people and it was a great experience and it becomes very intimate with mm -hmm. the players and the caddies we were there every day almost the entire day they start to recognize so they you. start to recognize yeah. you they say hello you recognize them it's not like another event where there's 144 players totally because so, there's 24. There's just 24 players. Yeah. So you start to, you know, see the caddies, say hello to the caddies, you know, know who stops in the morning to, you know, rip a cigarette. And, yeah. Oh, you know, lovely. There's a couple of the European caddies were hilarious. They wore the wrong uniform but the first two days in the practice round. The same guy <laughs> wore the wrong uniform. I think it was Charlie Hull's caddy wore the wrong uniform the first two days. <laughs> just... Wasn't paying attention. Didn't see at the all. memo. Didn't see the lineup card. Which they probably have like massive signs everywhere for them, so they know oh, what to right. wear. Right. He said there there's a, was a caddy, you know, text chain of all the Europeans, and he still got it wrong. Right. Right. Well, good. So, I'm glad you guys got that. Up yeah, it was a great experience. experience. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people that were involved in the event, you know, were happy it was over, yeah. but kind of sad it was completed. Totally. And I think that's a, a, a natural feeling. Yeah. All right. What was your rating for the Solheim Cup? Okay. The Solheim <laughs> Cup. Okay. Obviously, we have tremendous bias towards the golf <laughs> we course. We do. I think any But times, I think most people would agree that it was right, a good venue. Anytime you have bias towards the golf course, as we do, or anytime you have bias and inherent bias, you need to at least, I think, announce your bias. Okay, we are biased. It's like when you're going to say something to someone that they don't like, you can say with all due respect. <laughs> totally. I don't know if you, I, you know, it's worth a try. So the venue was great. It was in great condition. The weather was unbelievable. It I don't really know if was. there's ever been a six or seven day stretch of weather where it was 55 to 60 in the morning and 75 to 80 in the afternoon and yeah. with no real threat of rain you know, any of the days, and it wasn't humid, it was great. Mm -hmm. The players, you know, you had elite, elite players. Some played better than others. The finish, while the score was close, wasn't as dramatic as maybe we had hoped, wasn't the outcome that we had hoped. I always go back to, I gave the Olympics a 4.5. Yeah, that's and like that your was a pretty good now. score. Yeah, I am going to give the Solheim Cup and still leave my room room for better. And again, I was involved. We were there. I'm going to give this a 4.7. Okay. I think it got a ton of momentum for the event. I think it was a great um, display of LPGA golf and LET golf. There was a lot of winners in this, and we've joked about a few of the the, the losers, and maybe you know it was the the ruling or the merchandise or the right. wristbands or whatever it might have been. But there was a but lot those of... those other events, like, we didn't experience right, that stuff. So right. we wouldn't have known. So there was a lot of winners in this. Yeah. It had a tremendous amount of coverage on the Golf Channel, a little bit on NBC. The Monday finish, I think, was a complete home run. Yeah. If you were home yesterday, there was a sports enthusiast of any kind Besides maybe some tennis, there was nothing else to then, watch. Like, get it on NBC. Well, that yeah, that's a whole other. I know. I that's know. a whole other subject, but yeah. you know, did they whiff a little bit on the nine and eighteen switch? Yeah, but that was the best of intentions. And again, it we're was. really nitpicking here, yeah. and we're nitpicking things that a lot of people would never know, would never come to find out. But it was fun to be there. It was awesome to be a part of it. It's a memory that Steph and I will share forever. Uh, we have, you know, a hundred great pictures. 
yeah. and funny stories from the gala to the pedal pub to Gwen Stefani to all the other things we did along the way. It was a great week in Toledo, and I think Toledo showed very well. So it was a 4.7 event it. for me, and I think that will be tough to top. Yeah, I think so too. I think we should like start from scratch 2022. With ratings? Yeah. Well, we still have a lot I of golf a lot left. Of golf, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, I my like final comment about this year's event, like it was really fun to watch my fiance Brendan really enjoy it because mm-hmm. he is not. I mean, he's a women's golf fan and supportive of women's golf, but he's not an avid women's golf fan. And he was running around like he, Bozo Brendan would just go like running around the golf course, and we had no idea where he was. And later he'd be like oh i was just like dapping up Ellie ewing and like screaming yes queen to megan kang like he it was nice to see like he him was enjoy it super into it and so largely it. unaccounted for <laughs> most for of the time large, unaccounted for large large portions of time well let me tell you he ended up putting on one of those wristbands and tightened it so that no one else could wear it that's about right. That's selfish of Brendan and not surprising. <laughs> not surprising. He also didn't pedal on the pedal bike. Like, that shouldn't surprise anyone. And, but then again, his, East Coast elitism, with- <laughs> his East Coast elitism shines strongest in the Midwest. <laughs> that is correct. But, no, we would be there. We'd see you and Sarah and Veronica and stuff. We'd all be together, and he would just be unaccounted for. Like, he wouldn't be on the Lido deck of the Meyer Pavilion. He wouldn't be by the... I mean, he would just be unaccounted for. And then when Steph and I were in the one suite on 9-18, we looked yeah. down and he's just standing there alone. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, he was into it. He had to get a lot of steps in. He was running around. And he he was, made friends with a lot of parents, it I'm sounds sure. like. Yeah, a lot of the, the women's parents. Mm-hmm. Um. But great, great event. Next Solheim Cup. We are making our plans to attend. It is 2023 in Andalusia, Spain at Finca Cortesan. It's a resort course, so I don't know what the situation I don't know how be. good the golf course is, but it looks really cool. Does it? Okay. The pictures, it looks very pretty. There's mountains. Sweet. There's oceans. Basically, it's everything Toledo <laughs> <Mountains>. is not. <laughs> That is true. Let me read you the description. Okay. Finca Cortesan is an independent luxury golf hotel and spa destination resort set in the rolling hills of southern Spain between Marbella and Soto Grande, overlooking the Mediterranean to one side and the tranquil Cesares Mountains to the other. Finca Cortesan was designed in the style of a traditional Spanish finca, which I don't know what what a finca is. I don't don't even know if I'm saying it right. I have a feeling that you really bought (laughs) that entire description, (laughs) but that's neither here nor there. All I know is the pictures look really cool. Okay, fair enough. It's not far from, you know, the Rock of Gibraltar, I think I saw. (laughs) So... I don't know how we're going to get there or where we're going to stay. And maybe we're just prisoners of the moment. But there was a lot of tired, somewhat (laughs) drunken context and talk last night about when are we going to Spain. So if someone can set it up, put me in a decent Mm -hmm. spot, get me some good tickets, multiple wristbands, guarantee some merchandise. (laughs) Then I'm in. I am in. I I've think... never been to Spain. I, oh. you know, I feel I would do very well there. I don't know why. I never <laughs> talked to the contingent from Spain, but I got a vibe of their situation. Okay. And I think I think I would do very well in southern Spain. But um, well, this is the call for a sponsor to send us to Spain. <laughs> wow, that's a big that's a big idea that I could get behind. All right. And but it's gotta like send the whole crew. So Oh yeah, we're gonna we gotta put all six of us back together and we're gonna we're gonna But we're gonna put them to work. Roll the band back. Maybe I should even offer to run the driving range out there for a couple <laughs> days with my vast <laughs> driving range expertise. And do you know how to speak Spanish? Uh, I took three years of Spanish before I was doing so poorly that I had to switch <laughs> to French because I ha- I needed a fresh restart in French one. Did that work? 
I mean, it didn't really work, but I was gonna. I wasn't gonna. You didn't want to fail. I wasn't gonna pass Spanish four, so I needed to reframe. Got it. All right, who should be the next captains? I think for the Euros, it's pretty obvious. Laura Davies, people talk about, but she says she will not be the captain it. unless it's in England. Oh, interesting. Yep. And how interestingly enough, the Solheim Cup has never been in England is somewhat surprising, given yeah. the rich history of English players. Look at how many English players were in the event yeah. this year and how well many of them played. So Laura's Dame Laura Davies says she will not be in the captaincy role until the event is in um, England. So who knows? She might unfortunately kind of phase out of that role, which would be disappointing. I know. Um, there's not a natural Spanish person, I don't believe, mm. to take that role Yeah. in Spain. And I think given the 2023-2024 back-to-back, this is going to be someone that has to commit Kind for at least two, two years. years. Yeah. So I think? think the natural person is Suzanne Pedersen. I said the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And then how about USA? Yeah. This one's, I think, a little bit more tricky. I know. You know, Michelle Wee West has been involved, but she's still so young. Um, Stacey Lewis is still somewhat of an active player. And, it may, and is so she, is Angela. Is she really to commit that? Angela is still an active player. Um, I don't know if Angela's Solheim record impacts her participation as a captain. I wouldn't think it would, but when you look at you know what Katrina and even you know what Laura Davies is the all-time points leader, you know a lot of these captains have performed extremely well. Suzanne Pedersen with the walk-off in 2019, I think yeah. it'd be tough to maybe. Go to Angela, but again, it's got to be someone that's in it for a two-year commitment. And maybe where they announce the location is yeah. in 2024 has, you know, an impact on who the captain is. Maybe there's someone with a natural tie-in to an area, and they become the captain. I don't think there's a natural fit, especially after back-to-back losses. I know. That do you do you need to kind of. Again, reframe and, you know, drop Spanish three and maybe go to French one. <laughs> Thank you for that metaphor. That, that worked out really nicely for you. Um, I am kind of leaning toward Angela Stanford. I feel like Stacey Lewis has a very, it, it seems to be that she's like, it's very my way or the highway when it comes to these things. Mm-hmm. Um. I also, like, you made a comment about players who have finished well in the Solheim Cup. I don't necessarily think, like, you have to be a strong player to be a good captain. I 100% agree with that. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm kind of, I'm be open to kind of whoever. Um, You know, it doesn't, you don't need to be a four-in-one player to, to be a good captain. I think it just needs to be somebody who's willing to, you know, take those two years to and it's kind of like taking three years because they'll announce them relatively soon right um to dedicate all that time and effort and like really study everyone and all the practices so i'll be curious i wrote down angela stanford but i'll be curious Um, i think there's a lot of ways they could take it maybe they do take it to a, a Michelle Wee and go really youthful and someone that a lot of people have looked up to, especially I know going they really to, have uh, a foreign site. And her husband was super nice on the range oh, and very talkative. So Johnny West. Johnny West. At one point, I called him Johnny Wee West, <laughs> but I think I think he'd be cool with that too. Yeah, he probably has been called worse being a former basketball player. So yeah, uh, where should the next Solheim Cup be played in the? So as you mentioned, the Solheim Cup is moving back to even years starting in 24 to avoid a clash with the Ryder Cup. I've seen a lot of different things thrown out. People talked about a West Coast venue. That mm. sounds great, but it's that makes it really difficult for European viewers. Someone talked oh, about Omaha yeah. Country Club where they just had a, a men's the senior, senior open. open. I think... The Solheim Cup does really well in middle market American cities. Agreed. Like not big, big cities. Right. It's done very well in Iowa. It's mm-hmm. done very well here. It did well in Columbus when it was there. It, it seems to have the draw of a town like a Toledo, maybe like an Omaha, that can get the corporate support. Yeah. 
but not get overwhelmed and going to a, a major market like a New York or, or a Chicago where it's competing with everything else. So I don't have a course in mind. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I hope they go. My goal in all of these is I think in Inverness brought this is go to a venue that people don't get to see a ton on television. Yep. You know, Prairie Dunes, any of these places where you know, okay, maybe I've never seen it. Maybe I've only seen pictures. What does it look like? I think there's a lot of great options. And it adds something for a women's golf event. Right, exactly. And continue as women's golf elevates the venue Venues to bring this kind of matter. full circle. Continue to elevate the venue, you know, for the Solheim Cup. And I think they will. I wrote down, because I committed to some golf courses. Okay. Um, Ohoopy Match Club. Did I say that right? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Is that the one in South Carolina? It's in Savannah. Oh, okay. It's it's an hour away from Savannah. Okay. But I was like, Savannah, I'm kind of down with that like yep. market. Um, and, I mean, that golf course was made for match play. Mm-hmm. So, so why not open it up to the public to see? Sure. Which I always think is great. And that gets back to show something on television that people don't get to see. Yep. And then my second one was um, Crystal Downs mm. in Michigan. Another great Keep choice. Keep it in the Midwest. Yep. Top 20, you know, usually in the top 20, top 25 of Golf Digest rankings. Nobody right on Lake sees Michigan, it. so you get like Chicago people. Right. You get like, if it's going to be over Labor Day weekend too, it's like all those people who go up north for the holiday right. come on out it, for a day. It's a good fit. Yeah. Well, so if you know, if people are looking for courses, that's what I think they should. Well, do. I also heard someone talk about you know, kind of like an upstate New York. I know Rochester's mm. hosting a PGA coming up. Interesting. So maybe there's a venue up there. I think. You can go to maybe a little bit more of an intimate venue. Inverness isn't a huge property, especially in Which the middle of the golf so course. Which so nice to walk around. Right. Oh, my god. So gosh. maybe there's a venue where you say, okay, we can't really bring a large-scale you know, men's major championship or maybe even a U.S. Women's Open to this event or this venue. So but it'll be interesting to see. I have yeah. to imagine... Something's announced the next 60 to 90 right? days. I would think. So we'll find out. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. We'll talk about it. Um, all right, what's your fun fact of the week? Well, my fun fact of the week was going to be, because I didn't know this until this morning, that there is that they are going back to even years. So that was going to be mm. my fun fact of the week, that it was uh, 2024. But interestingly enough, we talked about a player being the youngest first-time player to ever play, I think, in the last podcast we did. Do you know who... The youngest player, she's was the youngest first time and the youngest second time, and has amazingly already played in five Solheim Cups. Is it Lexi? It is Charlie Hull. Oh, yeah, I think we Charlie Hull is only twenty five. She's played in so she's many. Played of in these. five. She's already, I think, got twelve points in oh those my gosh. five, and she's already about halfway to where. Laura Davies plus or minus is. That's insane. Right. It's crazy, too, when you look at it in the context of the breakthrough for Leona McGuire, and she's younger than Leona McGuire. Charlie Hall is younger? I'm pretty sure. Leona McGuire, what? I know, is 26. All right. We're double-checking facts here. We're doing We're double some checking. live research. We're doing some live research. I am. Look, yes, Charlie Hall is 25 years old. And Leona's 26. And Leona McGuire is 26. Oh, my gosh. Charlie Hall will turn 26 next March. And Leona McGuire is already 26 years old. She, Leona McGuire wow. actually will be 27 the end of November. Oh, my gosh. That's a good fun fact. So well, that then. is a fun fact. Well, we finished the Solheim Cup. I can't believe it. We've talked about it for, like, so freaking long. I know. I had the big Solheim Cup hangover today. It definitely felt like coming back from a vacation today yes. where oh, yeah, I needed totally. a work was a real work was a grind today. Mm-hmm. But I was happy not to get up at five in the morning and drive to Inverness and sit on the driving range. <laughs> You're like, do I need to go back to Inverness anytime no, soon? No, I have no plans to be out there anytime <laughs> soon. I so. am hoping to play on Thursday. Which would be great. Steph and I are signed up for the Inverness Couples Club Championship oh, I can't on Sunday. Wait to that, hear that about is this. Divorce Open 2.0. <laughs> but you play your own ball in this one, so it's a little less dramatic okay. than the alternate shot. But, yeah, I would think so. so. I still can't wait to hear about it. Maybe we'll, we'll uh, have her come on for this segment to talk I, about it. 
we don't need to have someone come on that just yells at how much they don't like playing golf with me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, next on the LPGA Tour, we have this week off, which I think is great for everyone involved. Um, and then next week is the Cambia Portland Classic at Oregon Golf Club. I know nothing about it other than For the Ladies is hosting a clinic there on Sunday. So kick off. Awesome. Yes, kick off the Portland Classic with For the Ladies is pretty much what you're doing. Sounds great, and they're still so even. I know they've canceled two out of the four events in in the Asian Swing, Mm -hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how the rest of the season plays out. You have the event in Oregon, the event in Arkansas, back-to-back events in New Jersey that takes you to mid-October and then or early October, and then that starts the Asian Swing, which now has a a built-in kind of bye week in between. So it's going to oh, be interesting, interesting to see how many players go out for it. Go out for it and it's so close to the end of the season with the, you know, one more event in Florida at Pelican and then the CME. So there's still a ton of events left even with a couple being canceled, but there's a lot of natural breaks and if you don't play in the Asian swing either of those two events like, you're taking a, going? well. You're taking almost another month off to yeah. then play in the last full field event in Tampa. Or is that the CME Globe? Well, the CME Globe is down in Naples at the oh. end, and that's only an eighty-person field or sixty-person field. Excuse me. Got it. All right. So, a lot of golf still left. So much golf. We re- they need to build in an off season. They do need to build in an off season. Still, kind of try to find a way to maybe condense some of these it's off the same- weeks problem that the PGA Tour, the men's side has. But no. All right. It was an awesome week. Well, this one lasted an hour and we didn't have a single interruption, so. Unbelievable. It was expected to be a beefy podcast. Yes. We were there, we experienced it. Right, we were all over. Some of us flew close to the sun, some of us (laughs) might be banned from future LPJ events. Some Some of us us slept in, it was Some of us slept in, some of us. Some of us were bozos and we were wandering around the grounds. Might be blocked by Amanda Balionis from Twitter and Instagram. I don't know. Things happen. It was the Solheim Cup. It was a great time for Toledo. A lot of laughs. We had a fun. A lot of laughs. And here we are. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, Abby.